0: When we are chafed and fretted by small cares, a look at the stars will show us the littleness of our own interests.
1: The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Dude. Do 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 oh yeah baby Maria. Maria Mitchell Mitchell you know what Matt I mm-hmm. I love that I got chafed quite badly during the marathon
0: and did you fret about it So
1: when you said chafed, then it sort of it was like a it was like a flashback to a very sore point in my thigh. Oof!
0: And did you look up at the stars and then realise the littleness of your own interests?
1: Yeah, I often do that.
0: Yeah, that's
1: one thing I love about space, Matt. Is it makes me think. Why am I worried about? All those things today doesn't matter. I will
0: tell you a story that happened to me today. I, I went for a go on. I went for a, a, a you know a cardiogram thing. You know when uh, they, oh yeah and um and the and the doctor said oh just just lie back and remember relaxing you'll get the best results. So I thought oh how am I going to relax? So yeah, I lay back on the bed and I thought I'm going to think of being in a canoe. Okay, on a lake. And running my hands through the water and creating little eddies in the water, and looking up at the Milky Way as if I was in a in a, in a boat in the Grand Canyon or something, you know, wow. somehow. And that, and and I just imagined that for for about three or four minutes, and it, and, it, and I think that worked. So I, just, I feel
1: like I'm I feel like uh, I'm there now with you in the canoe, yeah. although that probably wouldn't be as relaxing for you because I'd be annoying you with questions about Titan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. And then later on I did have a discussion with with the builders who were we're just finishing up here and and uh, the Birdman competition is coming up soon in Ilfracoon where people uh, you know do you know that sort of Red Bull thing where you where you strap a pretend plane to yourself and then jump off the quay into the sea <laughs> and well, hope, I hope that they you They
1: don't fly too close to the sun like Icarus, Matt. You know what happened?
0: I know exactly, but I did mention the Titan that you could literally flap around and actually get your weight off because the thick oh, atmosphere yeah. and low gravity.
1: Well, we should tell Red Bull, you want to do this on Titan, mate. Aye. So so how is your heart, Matthew? We're all a oh, bit concerned. I've simply
0: no idea until I go for my results next week. Tune in next week to find
1: out. Well, tune in <laughs> next week for Matt's cardio results.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good. Okay. Where were we? Yes. Yeah, so, so
1: who's Maria Mitchell? Well, on this day, 130 years ago... Uh, Maria Mitchell, American astronomer and academic. She born 1818 and died in 1889. On this very day, yes. This is
0: one of those ones where I've chosen a death rather than a birth. Because I, you have. Because I wanted to talk about Maria Mitchell because she's she's absolutely brilliant. and Let's hear about it. Well, A, I, I love the name of Nantucket because it reminds me of oh, fami- Family yeah. Guy for some reason because it's just off the coast of Massachusetts, isn't it? Nantucket.
1: And uh, It sounds like somewhere you could get a really good fried chicken sandwich isn't it? down in Nantucket.
0: Yes, so she was the first American woman to work as a professional astronomer.
1: That is amazing. And also, Matt, mm-hmm. the first woman to be elected Fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences in 1848. Yeah,
0: and the first woman to be... Uh, elected in the American Association for the Advancement of Science in 1850 and remained the only Boom. woman for another 30 years. But do you know what she's famous for?
1: Well, 1847, using a Doland telescope, oh, yeah. rem- parking back to last Last week,
0: week's birthday boy, yeah. Uh,
1: she discovered a comet, which as a result came known as the Miss Mitchell's Comet, yes. named... In modern words, uh, sorry, in mod, it's modern name rather mm. is the C, eighteen forty seven T one. As you'll know, Matt, yeah, you're very familiar. It trips off the tongue, doesn't it? That one. But what? Yeah. But what was cool about this, and you'll you'll like the ending of this, is is
0: she won a gold medal for the discovery of Miss Mitchell's comet, and I think she, the right. initial discovery she did in her dad's name to get it published, but then she went on to do all the calculations and work out its orbit and then claim the discovery. At which point she was presented by King Christian Eighth of Denmark a special Whoa. gold medal. And he was handing out medals to people who were discovering comets using telescopes because um, it's really hard to do. And that gave her worldwide fame because she... Basically, it legitimised American astronomy in Europe. Not just women, but a, a like American astronomy. Full stop in Europe, because rightly so, us Europeans looked down on the American astronomers. They just weren't really up to snuff. But uh, but uh, maybe Miss Mitchell changed all that.
1: <laughs> I think she might have done. I love that Christian VIII, King Christian.
0: Yeah,
1: I was going to say her only other pre, the only other previous woman to discover a comet um where the astronomers Caroline Herschel as we know mm-hmm. and Maria Margareth is it Margareth
0: well, yeah i think I, it is yeah, yeah.
1: Margareth Kirch
0: yeah that now Maria Margareth Kirch i've never heard of obviously Caroline Herschel pretty famous on the medal this uh, this was almost my sp- space quote for the week was uh, inscribed non fustra signorum obitus Speculama et ortus. Being someone that studied Latin to a very
1: high level, Jamie, how how does that translate? Well, it translates to not in vain do we watch the setting and rising of the stars. Isn't that beautiful? It
0: is actually beautiful, yeah, yeah. Taken from Georgics by Virgil, Book One, Line 257.
1: I know you didn't want to say this, Matt, but you know that I've got a tattoo of that very saying in Latin just above my bottom. (laughs) Just on one of that,
0: just so, just beneath the dimple.
1: What's that dimple called? I don't know. It might actually be the Ortis.
0: <laughs> but they were <laughs> they were very prominent on Britney Spears. That is right. Yeah, that is yeah. right. Yeah. So yeah, she was raised as a Quaker, but uh, converted to Christian Unitarianism.
1: What do Quakers believe?
0: In uh, having oats for breakfast, I
1: believe. Yeah, that's the that's the only image that comes to my mind. <laughs> and she also became a professor Matt, mm-hmm. of astronomy at Vassar College in 1865 the first person appointed at the faculty that's not bad yeah. is it
0: and she apparently did a really really good job at getting people to actually join uh, as as students and that's actually where that phrase comes from she she knew she couldn't turn them all into astronomers but by just teaching them the this way of thinking and Uh, was going to make them better people and show them how,
1: you know, their problems weren't as bad as they thought they were, given... Well, completely. And talk about girl power. Mm -hmm. I mean, her salary was way less than some of the younger male professors. Mm -hmm. So she insisted on a a salary increase and she only went and got it. I mean, this is 1865. Yeah,
0: and uh, bear in mind slavery was still in full full flow at this point so this this is she's a proper Fair She's a bloody
1: play she's a legend she's,
0: yeah she's a proper trailblazer
1: I mean talk about pave the way
0: yeah she, 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 well that's why I wanted to talk about her. she's like a, a, a really important role model and uh, and she even in protest of slavery by the way she uh, stopped wearing clothes made of southern cotton so she's one of these people no way yeah so, she, so she's even got that trend a modern trend of you know Purchase power under
1: a belt. Bloody hell. Yeah. She is absolutely, she might be my favourite. Yeah, <laughs> she's up there, isn't she? Well, I'll tell you what, can we get a photo, Matt? Whack this straight up on our IG account. Mm-hmm. Have they got an IG account? Yes, we have. Go to Instagram. And I believe, Matt, we're Interplanetary Pod. Inter- Are we I pod? think we're an Interplanetary Pod, I think. I think
0: that's what it is. Yeah. The same as our Twitter handle.
1: You'll find us. Yeah,
0: just put Interplanetary Podcast Podcast. Instagram and I'm sure we'll come up and if not just go to the website www Yeah, big time. interplanetary.org.uk or actually Jamie, you can go to uh, these days www. the ace back into
1: .space. Are you for real? But I am for real there actually, yeah. That is that is an exciting turn of events. Well, I could I, well, I could we-
0: buy that one uh or, which was quite cheap or I could buy interplanetary.space. Guess how much that one was? <laughs> how much? Six grand. So I decided not. I decided Ooh, that Yeah. Although obviously the Patreons have been very, very generous. We didn't I didn't quite, have that, in the pop. Didn't quite have that. way better use of our listeners' yeah, yeah. money mm. than that. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Oh like yeah. Like my jacuzzi.
2: So I tell you baby. what, Matt. Yeah,
1: sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to Mitchell, yeah. she never married, which I mean. You would have thought she'd be snapped up after reading all you this. Know, well,
0: I think she was too busy with the stars. Maybe... Yeah, she's uh, let's too go, busy. Let's go with she was married to space. Oh, beautiful. Eh? Yeah. Uh, she, uh, she didn't die in a particularly great way. She did, died of some brain disease, but... Um, uh, Google have honoured her uh, as a Google doodle, yeah. by the way, on, in August, the, on August the 1st, which is her birthday. So we could have waited a month and done her birthday, but I just, I just I was just so eager to do her today that, yeah,
1: that we uh, can't, we, that, can't, yeah, yeah, can't let, it, let go. it go.
0: And, and it's, and it was the fact that it was the 130th anniversary as well. So, yeah, Absolutely I love, incredible. yeah, I love Maria Mitchell. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look much more into her and, um. Maybe write a sort of bigger blog post about her on the, on the podcast thing. I think we should. Thing.
1: She d- definitely deserves it. Yeah,
0: Ledge. Total ledge. Yep. So, Jamie, uh, did you get up on Tuesday morning to watch the Falcon Heavy launch?
1: Well, I didn't, it's but I it. heard very soon afterwards about it, and it uh, seems like it was a good one. Oh, uh, yeah, it was really good. I mean... It was at night time,
0: so the pictures weren't quite as good. Although when the boosters came down, it looked so weird because they were sort of a, they were white. So presumably they were. Yeah, it, it, it was fi- being filmed in some kind of heat infrared thing. Uh, okay, but, but it it was quite detailed. But it was really, really cool. I mean, the the coolest bit, even though I suppose for for everyone involved, it's not the coolest bit, was the attempt at the um, centre core coming down and landing on the barge out at sea. Uh, That barge was 1,200 kilometres away in the Atlantic Ocean. So, like absolutely miles out, and uh, well, about a thousand miles out, I suppose. So a long way out, and, and of course, there was so much energy to get rid of, and it looked like it was going to land quite successfully. There was, it, it kind of looked like it was coming down above, and then suddenly you saw it whizzing past the back of the boat and blowing up. So, <laughs> right, <laughs> it, fair enough. It, it didn't even—I have to say—it didn't even look close <laughs> to happening. But well, you but, can't better, win them all. Better, better luck next time, you know. Um oh actually Jamie, I th- did you know what I thought we should start doing? Cause I heard this on yeah. another podcast. I can't remember the name of the podcast now, but it was um judging everything as a five star review. <laughs> so, you know, what what do you, <laughs> what do you give, for example, how what do you give out of five do you give Maria Mitchell? You know?
1: Well, it's it's probably five slash five and a s five probably five point five. Five point
0: five out of five. Okay. That's yeah. good. What about Falcon Heavy? For the centre core, I'm going to give it two two out of five. It was a good attempt, but...
1: Yeah, yeah. two and a half out of five for this. Um, but Falcon Heavy as a thing, hmm. five
0: out of five. Four, no, I'm going with four at the moment. Going with four until until it's like...
1: Four until,
0: until, it, until, it's r- until they're nailing everyone. Well, no, until it's like... Properly reusable, as in like the, the center cores come back, and then the next day they're being used. That would be cool. All
1: right, let's go four out of five. Yeah,
0: yeah, four out of five at the moment. So yeah, tw- th- so twelve hours after the launch, the U.S. Air Force were declaring it a complete success. So they they tweeted: all satellites are on orbit and have made contact. So that and but the thing was this was uh, musk and everyone else was was billing this as the most yeah. complicated mission they'd ever undertaken and it really oh, was wow. it was another demonstration mission really for the um air force who wanted to basically see if falcon heavy well, if SpaceX were up to the job, basically. And so they so they made yeah. it pretty complicated. They didn't give them like a, a stupidly expensive payload, you know, like one of these Hubble telescopes that point at the ground type things. So mm. what they did, it was a rideshare mission, 24 different satellites on board. Uh so there was military satellites, NASA satellites, NOAA satellites, and of course, the planetary society's light sail all needed to be deployed into three different orbits so yeah the merlin yeah that's not yeah easy. so the Merlin engine of the upper stage had this complicated sequence where it had to do four burns over three hours so that's pretty impressive so. A lot of energy to get to where it had to go. had to go very, very fast, hence the barge being so far away. Three different Mm. orbits, getting all the payloads in, but apparently all the payloads are in place. So SpaceX, other than that slight hiccup with the center core, which I don't think anyone was really thinking they were going to nail it, actually. uh, They completely cocked up. And the massive bonus here, the super bonus, is that they managed to catch one of the fairings as well. For the oh. first time,
1: well, that's not yeah. bad, is it?
0: So yeah, no, no, it's amazing. So yeah, five out of five yeah.
1: for the fairing. But for the
0: fairing, now it's got to be two and a half out of five because they only caught one out half, of, didn't f- they? F- mystery ship was the ship out at sea with them. I see what they've done there. Mystery oh, mystery. Miss Tree. Miss Tree. Ah. I mean, it looks ridiculous. I mean, if you if you were to sort of get a child to design a way of catching something falling from the sky, it's the kind of it thing that look they would insane. do. Yeah. But it, it, yeah. it's clearly working. Six million dollars yeah. they cost the complete payload fairing. Wow! And so yeah, they they're going to try and reuse that payload fairing half sometime later this year. So that would be pretty cool. Well, I should think they do. So the two side ba- suit, the two side-mounted boosters, by the way that were fl- flying had already flown yeah. on the previous Falcon Heavy mission, the Arab Sat 6A ah, mission. Uh, okay so yeah that so that's so that was another thing that the Air Force were looking at because they wanted to make sure that, you know, even with these reused things it was going to be able to to perform to perfection, which it has done. And yeah. uh, so this this led Dennis Bythwood, the program executive officer for space development, he said This was a momentous launch for NASA, NOAA, and the DoD. The SpaceX Falcon Heavy allows the Air Force to begin using previously flown rocket technology to further reduce the cost of launch. This mission demonstrated SMC's continuing commitment to leverage the most innovative technologies to deliver cost-effective
1: space capabilities. Whoa. That's a strong paragraph isn't
0: it it's all about lowering the cost for the American taxpayer to get their military payloads up into space so uh, congratulations SpaceX for doing that and um, well done SpaceX we'll see how this unfolds when the Air Force have to think about their bids from 2022 to 2026 because that could be very big news for SpaceX or it could be very big news for Blue Origin or ULA or Northrop Grumman who knows who knows?
1: Watch this space.
0: Anyway, Jamie, shall we? Yeah, we got a pretty long interview, a really a really good one. I really enjoyed this interview. A lovely chat. This was great, wasn't really it? And chap.
1: we were in the same room. A- absolutely, yes. For the first time in ages, we were in the same room, weren't we? were not we we were in the same room, and it was a fantastic interview. We hope that you enjoy it. And um, it's not another David, is it? I think our listeners know it's gonna be another David. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just insane, it's just in- isn't it? But we're really excited because this was this was really great, and we're really excited about the film, especially considering it's got your favorite, ah, oh, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford
0: isn't your uh,
1: nephew ne- named after Harrison Ford? He is, yeah. yeah, amazing. It's absolutely a legend in our family, as as in many families, I'm sure, but. Yeah, so Harrison Ford is, is the narrator of this fantastic documentary. Who's it by, Matt? It is by David Fairhead. And what's the documentary called? And the documentary is called... Armstrong, strong you're going to really like this and be sure to check out the documentary when it hits in well it's not 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 far away is it we should go and see one of the opening because it's, it's out in cinema it's going to be out in cinemas
0: uh, you're yeah, you're, you're hearing you're hearing the interview the type of release it's going to have we will on our obviously on our website we will we'll put links out to the to the release date it's coming up in a couple of weeks and It'll be really fantastic to go and see that, Jamie, you and me, and we'll give a little review on the show maybe afterwards.
1: I think we but absolutely sh- should go and do that. We'll get our popcorn out.
0: I'm sure it'll be excellent because David's been involved with lots and lots and lots of films, including lots with uh, our previous guest, Chris Riley, as well. So, That's right. um, you know, it's like some of the best films out there have been done by David Farad.
1: They're passion projects, which. Always make the best dogs. Yes, yeah, no,
0: absolutely, and they, it, it, he's just a an all round very lovely fellow. So there is a point. Lovely chat. There is a, an appendix to the interview where uh, he basically phoned me back to answer one of the questions again. <laughs> ah,
1: because okay. he,
0: he okay. yeah, you've not heard it, have you, Jamie? Because this, no. you've gone home at this point, so he phoned well, me back. This is news yeah, to me. Yeah, so you, you, it, we, you'll see, you'll see. It's a very, it's a very interesting point and really great to hear about Armstrong. Oh, but should we roll the tape? We shall roll the tape, but but before before we do, I'll, I will say that the the next week's guest is also a David. Come on. And there's a lot about Armstrong on that one. As we move towards the Apollo 11 50th anniversary, I think we'll we'll probably probably ramp it up a little bit on the Apollo 11 stuff. Uh, But yes, here's the first of them, I suppose, is Armstrong and the interview with David Fairhead. it. Ecoute. The
2: Interplanetary Podcast, putting the ace back into space.
1: Okay, we are very excited. We have David Fairhead on the line, the director of upcoming incredible documentary called Armstrong. David, how are you?
2: I'm very well, thank you.
1: Well thank you so much for joining us. This is uh this is really exciting. Me and Matt are big fans of your past work. But but before we talk about your past work, let's of course talk about the uh the incredible documentary that's a, a, about to come out. So firstly, can you tell us a bit about the film and, and when it's due out?
2: The film is due out on July the 12th. It's got a nationwide um release across the the UK and it's also getting a simultaneous release in the US at a smaller number of cinemas. Um uh, so it's very exciting for us as well. Um, it's also going to be uh, released in uh, Australia and New Zealand. Um, I don't think that's simultaneous, but it's, uh, it'll, it's following uh, hard on the heels of, of, of the release now. Um, the film tells the story of uh, Neil. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a classic biopic in many ways. Um uh, but it's uh, very interesting telling the story in this year, of course, the fiftieth uh, anniversary of the uh, the Apollo Eleven landings, uh, because it allows us to focus on on Neil and his life and what he achieved in that in that lifetime. Um, you know, he was quite uh, an extraordinary person uh, because, in many ways, he was completely ordinary. Um, he was, you know, he was quite uh, quite shy, <laughs> quite retiring. He didn't like the limelight. Uh But he was particularly good at the things he was good at, and that was you know he was a he, he initially he wanted to be an engineer, he realized that at a very early age, probably eight or nine, he wanted to get into aeronautical engineering, and then decided that um it might be a good idea to learn how to fly, so at the age of sixteen, he learned how to fly. Um, and then he wanted to go to university to study aeronautical engineering. So the only way he could afford to do that was to take a scholarship with the U.S. Navy. Um, they paid for him to go into um, uh, the university. And then uh, halfway through that, he got called up for the Korean War. And so, you know, his his life was really just a series of um, ambitions that he had that because he was so good at doing what he did, uh, it led him on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and until, until, you know, probably much to his surprise, <laughs> he finds himself <laughs> stepping out of the eagle onto the lunar surface. It is an incredible story. So, mm-hmm.
0: when you were first deciding to put this film together, what was the, what, what did you think you could do that, that added to the story, make it new and make it fresh?
2: Well, that's a very good question because his story has been told before. And in fact, um, you know, before I was a director, I was a film editor. And in fact, I was a film editor for 30 years. And in 2012, I edited a film for the BBC about Neil Armstrong. So um uh so I, I was very familiar with his story and that and and you know I made that film with uh with colleagues and friends. Um so it was very fresh in my in my memory and I just wanted to try and achieve something that was a bit different. Um, um I was working with a different group of people this time round, and so we had various discussions amongst the team. Um and we decided that uh we wanted to have uh the 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 narrative if you like. Um Dictated by Neil's own words. And, and so we did an awful lot of research into uh, things that Neil had said, interviews he'd done, things that he'd written, um, speeches that he'd made, uh, interviews that he'd given. And, and, and bit by bit, we kind of pieced together a, 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 a narrative spine, if you like, for the film and also
1: david you had access to uh neil's family um some of whom i mean i mean rick and mark his sons i know that they were in the film as well i mean is this going to give extra insight to to the man that many people of course know who he is because of what he did on the moon of course but uh, maybe a bit of a deeper insight into how he was personally as a family man
2: well i hope so i mean you know we're in, in some ways, we're going over ground that was covered in First Man as well. Um, uh, but, of course, that was, although based on truth, that was also a, a work of, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a drama. So you could say it's a fiction, mm. even though it's based on, you know, quite closely based on a true story. Um, but that's, there's an interpretation in that film, you know, with, with the acting and the direction. And in a doc, in a documentary, you have more. Um, there's more, much more emphasis placed placed on right. What what are the actual? What what's the truth behind this? Even though in a documentaries are as open, to interpretation <laughs> yeah. as much as drama is. But um, but yes, we because we had. Um, mark and rick's support and and june his sisters as well i hope that we did we have managed to dig down a little deeper although it has to be said that neil is not the easiest person to he, he didn't he had kind of um what do you want to call them barriers or he was a very reserved person and so he didn't it's not like he kept a diary or anything like that but that that was our that was our thinking about this you know Finding out things that he'd written, things that he'd said, in the hope that that would reveal a bit more insight. but But the other thing that's that's quite important that that the family really helped us with is they they gave us access to um, Neil's home movies, which no one outside the family had ever seen before. Hmm. and And in those movies you see, you see the, the, the real Neil, you see you see the family man you see the you know the, the family man who's who's playing with these kids who's clearly you know through his face you can see his delight in having his kids around him He's uh, his flying little model airplanes all that kind of thing
1: and how so, emotional was it for you watching this footage knowing that no one else outside of the family had ever seen this footage before
2: oh well <laughs> it's always emotional as a filmmaker when you have stuff that's never been seen before that's what you know, every, that's everyone's dream when you're making a documentary—never seen before footage—and this really was. And it, you know, with one of the most significant characters of the 20th century, if not world history. So no, it was—it was a—it was, was a fantastic moment when uh, when they delivered the box of films. And I remember it well, sitting in a hotel room in Cincinnati with my two uh, colleagues, Keith and, and Gareth, going through box after box of you know, super eight film with Neil's writing on every one of them saying things like Edwards, you know, France, uh, you know, all just the the, the little notations that every person who's ever filmed a home movie will just make on it. except, except you knew that was with Neil, this was, this is like, you know, this is, it's treasure trove. That's what it is.
0: Were you making this documentary at the same time that first man was coming out? Was it, was there any kind of crossover and therefore did you watch first man and, and kind of have any kind of feelings going through it that, that, that you'd actually got c- close to that story and and how far the story may have been, how close it was and how far away it was from the actual truth?
2: Well, you know, First Man is based on the book First Man by by James Hansen. And, you know, the, he is a very authoritative uh, writer. You know, he, he's, he, he writes reference books and And if you you know the, the book first man is actually is a pretty it's pretty comprehensive it doesn't it doesn't read like you know a flowing narrative it's a series of hundreds if not thousands of details about neil's life and you know to turn that into a screenplay was must have been quite a challenge um but as i said, that film is open to interpretation by the actors by the by the directors and also by by kind of hindsight, with a, with a modern perspective on how people would have acted back then. Um, but, but for, so whether that influenced or not, I don't think it did influence us, actually. You know, I went to see the film uh, when it was first released. I, I was lucky enough to see it you know, before it was actually released um, to, the, to the general public. And I really enjoyed it, and it's a, it's, a, it's a very well-made film. But in my heart of hearts, I don't think that they, they got to the real Neil. Um, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think that, that they, 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 the, the character they portrayed was, was great, but it didn't seem to match up with the Neil that I was seeing in the home movies or the, um, you know, but that's just my, my, you know, opinion on it. I mean, I know that Rick and Mark are really pleased with, uh, with first man. Um, so it's just different ways of looking at, at the same story, I think.
0: Yeah, that that's really interesting. There, presumably, it was just more of the vibe of the character of Neil Armstrong that that you felt was different. I, I'm always intrigued by yeah when when you don't when you've when people you've not actually been in people's company, it's quite right. hard to actually get the vibe, isn't it, of a person?
2: Yeah, and of course they didn't have the because um, Neil uh, has been dead for um, what, seven years, um, and and so it's not like they could go and meet him. Um, a lot of actors would go and meet the person they're playing and and and, and get to know what they're like and um uh, uh, but Ryan didn't have that opportunity to do that with neil so he was everything was sort of second hand i suppose but then you know he might throw back that 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 back to me and say well you only know him through the archive film and that's that's true as well uh, so you know, again, it's just its just uh, inter- I come back to that word interpretation. I think that's what it is.
0: It's a good point. There's a bit of a connection to Jamie's favourite film, Blade Runner, is that yeah. Ryan Gosling's other half, Harrison Ford, narrates yeah. this. Your that's films. it, the
1: circle is now complete. <laughs> so the
2: circle's yeah, complete. Right.
0: How, how did you get Harrison Ford involved with the project?
2: Well, that was uh, a, a piece of great fortune. Um, we, we knew that um, once we started doing the research into, into Neil's writing. We wanted to get a, a, a quote a list actor to to read them, and uh, you know on on my previous film Spitfire we'd we'd got Charles Dance to read that, but Charles was you know, he's got this fantastic uh, you know English accent and so he was absolutely perfect for that. But for Armstrong we wanted a, a, a more of an international star, if you like, and in, in some in many respects it had to be an American star, and we we. Uh, you know, in the in the cutting room, we were um, uh, banding around names about who we thought would be uh, would, would be good. But then um, we showed the film to um, to um, Mark and Rick, and uh, and they you know they were very uh, enthusiastic about it. They really liked it, which is always a great relief. <laughs> we are making a film; that's not sure. bad. Um, and um, and 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 Mark said. You know, he asked, "Who's going to do the voice?" and uh, and he said, "Because I can possibly connect you with a couple of people because you know he's he he moves in those circles, and especially uh, now having done First Man um, and having spent so much time, you know, around Hollywood people, I suppose uh, he's he's got connections." And uh, he said, "Well, I could probably put you in touch with Harrison Ford." And so um, Gareth, our uh, one of our producers, um, called up Harrison's agent. And within a very short period of time, in literally a couple of days, he was on the phone to Harrison, which is you know, <laughs> an wow. amazing thing. Um,
1: David, tell, tell me that you met him and tell me that he was as great as I imagine in my head.
2: He, I did meet him. I went out to, uh, to Santa Monica to do the voiceover record and uh he was every bit as nice as you always hope somebody will be he was uh, <laughs> if anything if anything i thought a tiny bit shy which <laughs> which is sure. which is a bit surprising um and uh, very very collaborative uh, we talked about delivery of lines, and, uh, and so, you know, he gave us his interpretation, but he also listened to what I had to say, and, uh, you know, he was just, he was fantastic. And then at the end, I, I said to him, Harrison, I'm really sorry. My wife insists I've got to have my photo taken with you. And he I said, sure, you know, <laughs> put his arm around me, and then uh, <laughs> we have photos taken. And then, and then the rest of the team was there. He said, can I have my photo taken as well? So, oh, my uh, God. <laughs> I'm, I'm
1: i'm only a touch jealous that is incredible i mean i just don't know if there's anyone cooler
2: well my obsession is,
1: with blade runner uh yeah, runs deep
2: <laughs> yeah well i i love blade runner too um uh so you know for me that's 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 harrison it's not han solo and um uh so no it was of course it was a huge privilege to meet him and, and to work with him so no, he was a lovely incredible
1: guy. stuff. so so the the film comes out when did you say it was july the
2: july the 12th
1: july the 12th and is this going to be uh um in in cinemas any it, anywhere that people can go to check out where they can watch it
2: yeah it's going to be in uh at the moment i mean the, the, the number's going to increase at the moment it's booked into 150 cinemas on that day and then, so it'll be a sort of a big event, a piece of event uh, cinema they call it, yeah. and that will be you know throughout the country. There may be more uh, cinemas signing up for it yet. Um, and just, uh, I think uh, there'll be a website up and running soon where people can book tickets. Um, uh, and there'll be, will also be recording q and A Q&A, uh, a few days before. So there'll be a Q and A uh, session that people can watch. Dara O'Brien is chairing that. And then, um, uh, and then, yes, book your tickets, go and see it at the cinema near you.
1: Absolutely incredible! We will be the first in line, I think. Won't we, Matt?
2: Uh, absolutely. Well, well, yeah. w-
0: because obviously this is the huge Apollo year, the fiftieth mm. anniversary. Yeah. Uh, do you have any kind of thoughts on 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 this new space race that we're kind of seeing now? And and I suppose this this Artemis, for example, do you have any? Uh, have you? <laughs> are you in fact? Are you a, a sort of massive space geek like jamie and i is is that something that you follow adamantly
2: well na- yes and no it's, it's a funny thing um you know i'm old enough to remember seeing neil you know step off the eagle and walk on the moon on a on a grainy black and white telly in hong kong where we lived at the time um uh, so it's always been funnily enough a kind of uh, uh an event in my life that i've always remembered um and so i've always had an interest in it but it wasn't until, I suppose, round about two thousand, I think it was nineteen ninety nine, when the BBC did a series called "The Planets" first time round, and I was the editor, uh, one of the editors on on that. Um, and I remember we cut a story about Apollo twelve landing on the moon, and um, and suddenly all these kind of feelings within me came rushing back. That are how exciting I, I found spaceflight, and I'd kind of buried it. Under under my other great love, which is aviation, and um, and since that time, really, I've gone from you know editing films about an awful lot of films about space. You hinted at it earlier, um, so a lot of stuff for the BBC, and then and then I did a film called In the Shadow of the Moon. Uh, as, a, as an editor, yeah. which which um, the director was David Sington, and we took that to uh, Sundance. We won a big award at the Sundance Film Festival, which we were you know, over the moon with—no <laughs> pun intended—and so and, <laughs> and, um, uh, and 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 I, well, I think the thing is once 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 you start getting a track record for doing stuff like that, people come to you with films about you know. Similar mm. subjects, and that, that's why. To answer your previous question, I've I've ended up doing so many films about about you know space flight. But if if but I have to be honest and say it's not my it's not my greatest passion because I you know for me it's aviation and airplanes and aviator they're they're the things I love. But with with Neil, of course, there's a massive crossover because Neil mm. really painted himself as an aviator. He he just happened to be an astronaut for a for a period of time, but. And you consider what else he did, you know, Navy fighter pilot, flew the X-15, the, the most incredible rocket plane that's ever been built. Um, uh, you know, and then a glider, he flew gliders as well. Um, yeah. his, his career in aviation was, was extraordinary. So, um, so
1: then your Spitfire film must have been the peak of your career in terms of a passion project.
2: Well, that was, that was a massive passion project. I can tell you that uh, it was hard work but we were so and did you get um, to
1: I, I haven't actually i uh, uh, forgive me because i've not seen it yet but did you actually uh, get to fly in one no i <laughs> know oh.
2: <laughs> a bone of great contention um but the budget oh, no. had the budget all had to go on the screen not on joy rides for me and my uh, co-director and
1: <laughs> well I'm, sh- I'm sure it could happen
2: one day one day let's hope so let's hope somebody uh, somebody's <laughs> listening can make that happen
1: <laughs> Here we go I- listeners if you own a Spotfire, please get in touch yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> I'm right in saying,
0: aren't I? Yeah, yeah I, I'm right in saying, aren't I? That that because Neil Armstrong was a a civilian pilot, essentially, he mm. he wasn't in the military. He was mm. he was also better paid than the rest of the. Apollo astronauts, is that right?
2: <laughs> well, so, so I understand. I, I, I read that just recently, actually, um, uh, because he, he actually, he was already employed by NASA. This is one of the things, actually, a bit of um, detail that we turned up that's not actually in the film, but um, he, unlike most of the um, astronauts who, uh, who applied to join to NASA, he was asked to apply for the astronaut program, but he was actually already working for NASA at Edwards Air Force Base. Um, you know, the X-15 was an Air Force and NASA project, so he he was he was already on the pay scale. So I guess that's why he ended up being paid slightly more. But all all the astronauts, as well as I'm sure you know, um, had this deal um, uh, with Life Magazine, um, which, which meant that you know in in, in uh, they had to submit to having their every move photographed. But for this, they got paid a sort of fairly handsome access fee, and I think that was. That was something that the uh, that the, 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 it compensated the the fact that they didn't have private lives anymore.
0: Yeah, but probably not 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 for Neil Armstrong. It would seem. It does seem no. that's no. the that's the one thing that he really couldn't cope with.
2: Well, that's right. Yes, I mean he could, could cope with uh, uh, near death experiences every time he flew, but you know, but the, the press was a different was a different thing. And that and that's you know, there's a there's a in in the film itself there's there's a sort of little Sad turn, um, you know, from from the success of the the Apollo uh, missions for him, and and then that realization that he didn't just didn't want the limelight, and it's the absolute mm-hmm. antithesis of the celebrity culture that we uh, uh, that we endure today, where people are famous for being famous, not for doing anything, and 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 who crave the attention, and Neil was the absolute opposite. As as were most of the astronauts, I don't think. When they signed up for it, I don't think anyone really thought it through. But you know, but they could have they could have seen it, you know, because the, the same thing happened to the you know, the Mercury astronauts as well.
1: Absolutely, and I, I was just going to say, you're just talking about social media in today's society and the young kids growing up with that being the norm. Mm. Incredible to. I mean, a lot of them won't understand just how famous these people were. I was watching a, a YouTube documentary about Yuri Gagarin the other day about mm. how, just how much of a rock star he was, as Neil was in America and the, and the world, mm. uh, you know, when he did his thing. I mean, it's just, it was unparalleled back in the day, wasn't it?
2: Well, it was, um, um, and with a different kind of exposure. I mean, you know, Rick Armstrong says in the film, thank God, social media didn't exist back then uh, because you can just imagine how mad it would be i mean you only have to look at the fuss that was made over um tim peak um mm. uh you know britain's first uh, astronaut supposedly although helen yeah. charman went into space before him <laughs> she uh, was. As, as did a number of other astronauts who changed their um their uh, you know their, their nationality so that well, they you, you'll be glad NASA. to hear
0: that we've we've had most of them on we've had oh, we, okay. yeah we've had where we've had helen and uh, uh Mike Fole and, yeah. and Tim Peak, well. right? So so, <laughs> That's yeah. We 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 addressed the balance with Helen Sharman, <laughs> who was super lovely as well.
2: That's good. Well done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, i I've, I've I've kind of got one real last question, I suppose, yep. and that is. It, over this entire making of this one documentary, is there one thing that's really stuck with you that that you were so pleased to find out or shocked to find out? Maybe was there something that that you went, "Oh wow, I really didn't know that," or "I really didn't realize the extent of it."
2: Oh, I hate questions like this because there's always, <laughs> and there's always you, you rack your brain to think, "Oh my god, what what was there that we that we found out?" Um, uh. Was there a standout thing? I I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose um, it, it, you know one of the one of the, the, the things we were very privileged to when we filmed the interview with with his sister June, we filmed it in the house that she still owns, but which actually was her grandparents' house, and that was the house where Neil was born, and. I think I think for for me and, and there's there's something very personal as well about the fact he was born in nineteen thirty and my dad was born in nineteen thirty as well. And it's the it's the fact that he was born as a you know, as a as a, a yeah he he was a a kid who grew up in in rural ohio and he went on to 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 be the first man to stand on the moon and i know that's not exactly um a groundbreaking thing for me to say but i still find it incredible that someone who was born the same year as my dad went on to achieve that with the technology that was available at the time. And you know, one of my great sort of bugbears, as I'm sure it is yours, is people who try to deny that, you know, that, that the space program, <laughs> the, yeah, the Apollo landing, happened yeah. and all the rest of it. And I just think they are missing out on so much because it is such an amazing story, not just for Neil, but for mankind as well. Um, you know, the fact that we could make that technology work um uh we could you know all the developments that had happened um you know throughout throughout the 20th century that led to that 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 pinnacle that that incredible achievement of of him stepping onto the moon well we still think, still it, arguably it,
1: still yeah it's still arguably the greatest achievement of mankind surely
2: well uh, that's right and it still sends shivers down my spine and you know when we were editing the film and um uh Paul Holland, the editor, was was just. I mean, he he didn't really know that much about the space program, but by the end of it, <laughs> he was an expert. And um, and it's just you know that those little moments of comms where we can see you on the ladder now, Neil, things like that still make me shiver because they are just. Um, um, it's just amazing to think that they they managed to make it happen, and that they also managed to make it happen in that decade, just as yeah. Kennedy had had, had uh, challenged them to. Um, so all in all, I suppose there's not just, it's, I haven't really answered your question, it's not one surprising thing, but it's just the fact that they achieved it, and Neil achieved it, but as he would say, on the, on the shoulders of 400,000 other people. Um, so perhaps the thing that's, that, that, uh, that I love most about about Neil is his humility and his ability or, or his desire to share the achievement with all the other people. I think perhaps that's that.
1: Here, here. That's a perfect answer. I was when you were talking about the technology that they had at the time. How much memory was there, Matt, on that computer? Not <laughs> uh, it, much.
0: <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. There is one weird factor, and I think it's right. In I think virtually all of them were born in 1930. That that sort of tranche of the astronauts huh. and yeah. it's the same and it's the same year that sliced bread was invented or something <laughs> ridiculous like that just well, we to put it in yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it,
0: it, it, its kind of historical context that kind of yeah. makes you realize just how how fast things moved from yeah from the birth well, of neil armstrong to him standing on the moon
2: well that's right well the answer to the question that you just posed there was 32 kilobytes of 32 memory in, kilobytes. In, in 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 the lunar module computer um, and, and that's another reason why people say, "Oh, they could never have done it. The computers weren't powerful enough." Well, what it, what it tells you is that it's not how big it is; it's what you do with it. And um, <laughs> absolutely, it, it's that, that it's, it was the skill in using the very, very limited computing power they had to nevertheless do what they needed it to do, and that was uh, absolutely amazing. And had that you know, at the time, NASA had more computing power than any other organisation on earth. <laughs> I think they had 4 megabytes. Um now <laughs> you know, of course your fridge has got yeah. more than that. But uh, it it's um it, again it's a staggering fact that that is what they that's what they were working with, but at the time it was the absolute cutting edge.
1: Um Well, I think there's definitely lessons to be learned there. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean it's the monumental
0: engineering. I was looking at some pictures of the workmen working inside the Saturn V fuel tanks. And mm. they're little tiny specks of people <laughs>
2: inside these yeah.
0: enormous things, and they're polishing it because a, a, a thumbprint worth of oil or anything like that would would explode inside the tank. Mm. And you just think, ah, oh, mm. these it, the technology is just incredible and just monu- just monumental in its in its uh, in its extent. Absolutely yeah, well, it, it
2: was, but at the same time, you know, as, as with a lot of great engineering, um, it's about making it simple and i did a series um after i did shadow of the moon as an editor i did um a series for discovery science with the, with the same team actually uh, called moon machines and in it we we did about the um saturn five each each film i think there were eight films excuse me and each one was about um a different element of 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 the um you know the space the apollo program and um the second stage presented them with these huge problems because they just couldn't get the weight down. In the end, you know, because each, um, if you like, tube of the rocket uh, uh, would, hold, would hold a fuel tank, in, fuel tank inside it. But they couldn't make the, uh, the second stage lighter. And in the end, they decided on something called a common bulkhead. So instead of having two tanks in there, they they just they almost had one tank divided in half by this bulkhead. And that saved enough weight for them to allow it to, uh, to, to fly. And it was simple, elegant solutions like that which, which made it all possible. You also have to remember that they, all, they were all different contractors working on this stuff. Um, and they all had to, um, and they, they'd all bid to win the contracts. But then they all had to work to these sort of common standards. Um, so there's a lot of competition uh, for and that off quoted line about you, know, you have to remember that each of them was was, <laughs> was whatever it is working for the lowest bid you know which <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> focused, focused everyone's minds a bit but um so uh no incredible incredible achievement. well
1: david here's here's a here's the last question for you from one of our listeners yeah. andy uh yeah. who said that he's uh wants to become a, a documentary maker now he wants oh. to know what tips you've got well or would you just oh. say stop right now do something else
2: uh, well, <laughs> it's well, you know, it, it's uh, as I often say, it beats working for a living. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's uh, well, plug away is, is, is my advice. If you want to make documentaries, um, you know, whether or not you've been to university or college to study film, you need to know your stuff inside out, and you need to have stuff to show. So, if you're if you're trying to get into the business, or if you're trying to get into um, you know university or college, um, start making your own films. That's how that's how I started. I made my own films. Um, and uh, but this is a long time ago when it was actually on, on film. Um, and, and you know so you build you build up a body of work and when you've got stuff you can show people, show what you're capable of, because it's very easy for a lot of people to talk about stuff. You know, I'd love to do this, but they don't do anything. It's like if you want to be an actor yeah. or join an am-dram group, get practice. And um, and then you can and then it's making contact. And you know the other the other thing I would do is if, if you're you know if you, when you have ideas for for things write up the ideas think of the story what's the story you want to tell because documentary isn't just pointing a camera and letting events unfold in front of you a documentary is every bit as much telling a story as a as a as a feature film as a drama is the difference is that a drama has a script before you go and film it the documentary has the script after. Because you film it, and then you bring it into the cutting room, and the cutting room is where documentaries happen. That's where that's where the story's made. So that's my top
0: yeah, tip. Yeah, that is a top tip. That's great. That's a great one. Mm. Thanks very much for joining us, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward
2: to the film.
1: Yeah, we are very excited. All right,
2: well, fantastic. It's been really enjoyable chatting to you guys.
1: Absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks and, very um, much yeah. yeah, so listeners, get ready for the info of what's arguably going to be one of the best documentaries of the year, Armstrong with narration from the one and only Harrison Ford. David, thank you so much.
2: Thank you very much. Okay. Cheers then, take care. Bye. Bye.
0: Was there anything about Armstrong that you didn't know before making this documentary that that now is like a bit of a revelation for
2: you? Well, yes there was and um you know, because the, Neil's story is, is quite odd because it's kind of, it's familiar. We all know that he was the first man to walk on the moon. But there was so much more to him, even though, you know, he was this very modest, uh kind of almost humble uh man who, who who didn't like the limelight. But uh, he was also a very thoughtful uh, person and uh, and considered things. And part of the narrative structure, which I, I mentioned, was, was that we, we went through the archives um, to try and find uh, things that he'd written, um, speeches that he gave, interviews that he'd partaken in. And, um, and we went to Purdue University where his, um, all the, his archives are kept, um, including, it would appear, the entire contents of his home <laughs> office. They've had to <laughs> file through all this stuff. But um, we started looking through uh, copies of speeches that he'd given, that he'd written um, for for various events. And there was one that we found, um, uh, I think it was from 1972, and it actually was a speech that he gave at Purdue, which was, you know, where he had gone to university. And in it, he talked about um, what it was like to stand on the surface of the moon, which is the question that everyone asks him. Um, But he gave this very, very reflective answer. And... Uh, it was all about uh, how standing on the moon and seeing the Earth high above you made you really think in a completely different way about our planet. And uh, he t- he talked about uh, about uh, seeing it there as the only splash of colour in 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 the sky, you know, because it's <laughs> against this backdrop of black, and about how precious and fragile it appeared, and. And then, and then the, 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 the kind of sucker punch was that then he talked about how it needed protecting. And it needed protecting, most of all, not from um, alien invasion or, or you know, asteroid impacts, but it needed the protection or needed protecting from its own population. And that really struck me as quite extraordinary because, um, you know, this was 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. and he's talking about stuff that we are still debating today and that there is still a lot of denial about um, and i'm not saying that neil believed in climate change or anything like that but he clearly recognized that mankind was not <laughs> a great was not having a really great influence or effect on our planet and that uh, if we were going to uh, progress and survive as a species, then we had to start taking better care of the planet. And I think overall, this is the one thing that when people say, oh, you know, what did the space program actually achieve? Nothing. Well, I think this is another example of one of the things it did achieve because in many respects, it kick-started the whole environmental uh, movement, um, which is rather bizarre when you see the footage of the Saturn V going up with the amount of fuel it's burning. (laughs) 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 But, But. it was the inspiration that it gave to it i think was the uh, was the extraordinary thing so that's my that was my revelation about neil that he was a pioneer environmentalist
0: yeah that yeah that is that is actually quite extraordinary isn't it and it cuz you hear the some of the other astronauts talking about that like uh, I, I know alan bean did and i know a few others mention it and i, I guess that, that the really famous earthrise picture is is that first glimpse of it all isn't it where it's like that's wow right. e- everyone <laughs> everyone's on that fragile planet, but yeah, for I've not heard. Yeah. Like you said, I've not heard Neil Armstrong ever articulate that.
2: Mm. So that is, no, it was, it was quite, it was quite amazing. If you, I mean, if you want, I can read the actual piece to you. Hang on a sec. Uh, right. So in the film, of course, it's read by, uh, Harrison Ford. So he does it a lot better. <laughs> <than me. laughs> yeah. To stand on the surface of the moon and look at the earth high overhead is certainly a unique experience. Although very beautiful, it is very remote, an oasis or an island. But it is the only island that we know of that is suitable for man. The importance of protecting and saving that home has never been felt more strongly. Protection is required, however, not from foreign aggressors or natural calamity, but from its own population. And uh, you know that I, I, I think that is is quite amazing. Um, uh, it just just in in you know when you consider actually that it was fifty years ago. That's quite a long time ago. Oh
0: yeah, I wonder in in context with 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 other people saying it at the time. You, you're right. I suppose it's that slow build, isn't it, into the environmental into the environmental movement that we see now.
2: Yeah, the speech was given um, at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, where he had went on to work after he retired from NASA on April the twenty first, nineteen seventy two. So you know, just just under three years after he actually actually stood on the surface of the moon.
0: Crikey! Um, yeah, that is. Yeah, it's early doors, isn't it, for that, for that for that kind of speech? Because yeah, I, I believe they were still talking about um, global cooling at the time, weren't they? In that in the early well in the early
2: seventies, uh, <laughs> that's right. That was that was the that was the popular theory back then.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's 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 really interesting. Yeah, definitely worth definitely worth sticking that in. Thanks for, th- th- yeah. th- thank you very much for uh, for taking the time out and and doing that and, and, and calling back. That was really good.
2: No problem. No problem. I just uh, I thought that you know you. You'd, you'd, uh, you'd thought of the question and uh, I, I, didn't, uh, <laughs> I didn't deliver it on, on time. But anyway, here we go. I've done it now.
0: The Interplanetary Podcast is alive. It's
1: brilliant. Wait, what did you, isn't you think it? about that? Well, I'm just aching to see the film now. So I can't wait. I'm going to book the tickets for us, mm-hmm. I can get the popcorn ready. And don't go doing that thing where you cut a hole in the popcorn bucket. I'm not falling for that again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what? So get your tickets booked, people. And, um, you know, it's well, you just know it's going to be ace. Loads of footage that's never been seen before with the help of Armstrong's family. I mean, what more should Yeah, you that is
0: really cool, isn't it? So, Jamie, are you one of these people that make the mistake of buying two larger coke? before going in and then having to sort of barge past people because you need
1: to go for a wee in the middle of the movie. Do you know what? I don't think ever have I had to go to the toilet in a film because I plan it very well. Plan it? Is that a space film, Joe? Yeah. Oh, did you like to see what I did there? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm pretty good in the cinema and I my pet hate is anyone talking near me. So if you see me in a cinema, just go keep the chat to a yeah, minimum yeah don't
0: sit behind me with any form yeah. of
1: rustling bag either and don't don't turn your phone on so it's a massive glare in our face yeah that's the other thing you know? yeah don't go in, yeah
0: don't go into a cinema with an iPad either what the hell no <laughs> and if
1: you've got if you've got food that you have to loudly unwrap then just f- off
0: that's exactly <laughs> my sentiment as well Sorry, Matt. More editing for Jamie, you, Jamie. I'm gonna we're gonna keep this yeah. short because I want to go out into the beautiful sunshine. It's it's a, it's a yeah, and I
1: need to go and buy some strepsils for my sore throat.
0: Oh yes, Jamie, you're poorly too, aren't you? So next, next. yeah,
1: I've got <laughs> I've got a, a white spot at the back of my throat, and I don't know what is. So so between us, Matt's got heart problems, and I've got throat problems. Yes. So it's, it's grim. Um, we don't we're not looking for sympathy, um, but we what we are looking for is for you to uh maybe go over to interplanetary.org.uk have a look around maybe buy a mug or a t-shirt how about a five star review if you've enjoyed this on iTunes oh yes absolutely absolutely
0: and well, you can just say you can listen to us on Spotify SoundCloud Stitcher Acast Deezer Podbean all these sort of places so yes don't be afraid to come and listen
1: literally Tens of people enjoy this show, so join them. Join them, and thanks for every. every thanks
0: very much to all our patrons, especially the Uber patrons that we love and 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 talk with us on the Discord and give us some brilliant Kings ace ideas and
1: queens. We, we
0: we we are going to do shortly once uh, Jamie and I are read up on the subject sufficiently. We will do space habitats. So if you feel as though you've got something to contribute, then please tweet or email or whatever contact us through the website and let us know like whatever. really interesting stuff about habitats that would be really fantastic
1: yeah let's do it so thank you people have a lovely weekend and uh, you know be sure to put sun cream on and because our sun nuclear fusion can burn you be careful Yeah, absolutely I better bloody get some free Nivea now uh, oh Jamie I, st- I still yeah. haven't watched Chernobyl but i well do you want to give everyone your chernobyl joke as just as a parting gift okay yes why shouldn't you wear tight shorts in the ukraine not not tight shorts in the ukraine why shouldn't you wear boxer shorts in the ukraine why matt chernobyl fallout thanks everyone bye bye okay bye au revoir